Well, when we started walking through the book of Zechariah some months ago now, if you recall when we entered in, and I, pre- I prefaced the, the book this way, I said to you, be prepared to enter into a roller coaster ride. A book that takes twists and turns and goes up and down and sideways and does loop-de-loops and does all kinds of crazy things. And Zechariah has proven to be just that. And this morning is no different. It's, it's coming to the conclusion of this wonderful strange, incredible book. And we find ourselves, once again, enmeshed into words that at first blush may seem a little odd and strange to us. But then as we begin to enter into it, what a glory it is to see just how the Lord reigns and how He is sovereign over all things. So if you're able, please rise as we read God's Word from Zechariah chapter 14, and we will read verses 1 to 11. Hear the reading of God's Word. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split into two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and His name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. So far, the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you, as the Holy Triune God, would guide words to these people gathered here today. That through your power, through your wisdom and grace, you would mold and shape lives. So use me as a humble servant to communicate your truth, that you love us and care for us. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. Some numbers for you. 6,329,015. As of about Tuesday or Wednesday, that was the national amount of COVID deaths over the last couple of years. You probably know this one better. $4.65. What I paid for gas on Wednesday afternoon. 5.62%. Maybe you know this one as well. This is what the interest rate is for a 30-year fixed loan as of Wednesday afternoon. Supply shortages. Used cars costing more than new cars. 
gender and sexuality issues, political divisions. There are two questions that I've been asked multiple times over the course of the past two and a half years from lots of people, from this church, outside of this church, and from across the country. Pastor, is the world coming to an end? Pastor, is the world worse now than it ever has been before? And as we look at things and we hear these numbers and we see them on paper, when we watch the news and fill our gas tanks, these are legitimate questions to ask because they are just, holy cow, I can't believe these things are happening to us. But I'm not surprised that the growing sentiment is that our country is headed to disaster. We might just be headed to disaster if we can't find our way out of some Johnny and Amber saga. I'm not surprised that the growing sentiment is is at the heart of these feelings then is fear, insecurity, doubt, wonder what is happening, fear of the unknown, fear of the scary, fear of change, fear of death, fear of dying, fear of trials, heartaches, disappointments, and sorrow. These two questions are real questions, honest questions, because we really are afraid. We are genuinely afraid of these things. And as we near the time, as we near the end of our time in Zechariah, I would like to recap a bit of the story for you yet once again in order to point out the reality of our situation. The people of God, again, were in exile for some time in Babylon, and the Lord had brought them into exile because of their idolatry, and they're going away from the Lord. And he brought them into Babylon for just over 70 years. But prior to exile, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, the walls, everything. He leveled the city. The city was, in, it was ransacked. It was in rubble. It was destroyed. And now the people of Israel have come back into the city and God has charged them with rebuilding the city, the walls, the temple, all of the city, to clean it up, to make it the house of God once again, the city of God once again. This is where Zechariah enters into the story. But the people have known war. They've known heartache. They've, they've lost loved ones to war. They've lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. Many of them have lost everything. They were forced to move to a strange city a different country with a different culture, different sights, smells, sounds, songs. And now some 70 years later, they return to a city in shambles. And the Lord says to them, if you recall back in chapter 1, verse 3, return to me, and I will return to you. The Lord gave them over to destruction because they worshipped everything other than him. But he didn't leave them. And now he brings them back. He brings them back to Jerusalem, back to the city of David, back to the city of the Lord with the task of rebuilding this very city. And now in Zechariah 14, some years after their return to Jerusalem, the Lord through Zechariah tells them of another dreadful day, a terrible day, similar to the one in which they have already experienced some 75 years ago. He tells them that the city will be destroyed again. Half of the people will be sent to exile again, and the other half will be pillaged, raped, and destroyed. What are the people of Israel to do with this prophecy? 
They've already experienced so much. And yet here Zechariah says these words from the Lord. What are we to do with this prophecy? Whether we look at Zechariah 14 or we look at the world of 2022, something is a constant. The Lord has not abandoned his people. He did not abandon his people when they were taken away into exile into Babylon. He did not abandon his people when they lost everything they had at the hands of the Babylonians. He did not abandon them when they were forced into a strange city with strange sights, with strange smells, strange songs. And if we look at that and we look at our situation, if we're honest with one another, our situation pales in comparison to what the people of Israel are facing in Jerusalem in this time. And still, the Lord has not abandoned his people today. Friends, the Lord has not lost control. He has not to let the world slip off the rails and slide into chaos. He has not done this ever. He has not done that with the people of Israel. He's not done it throughout history, and he has not done it now. He remains seated on his throne. He remains faithful. Does he allow difficult things to happen? Yes, absolutely. Is the world coming to an end? Yes. Every day, we inch closer to the end of the world. But when that day is to come, I don't know. But I don't know, what I don't know is when, but I know who. I know that the Lord is the one that controls and governs even that day. And so we look in faith, and so therefore we trust the promise that the Lord has made with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, because he is the sovereign Lord who reigns over all things. Will there be difficult things ahead? Most definitely. Will the Lord continue to reign? Most definitely. So what do we do with passages like this? What do we do with days like this? What do we do with two and a half years like this? What do we do with our stories? There are two ways that we can approach this weird, strange, wonderful text. The first way we could look into this text is, is to try to look at it from an eschatological and theological nuanced perspective trying to figure out what is what. We can try to determine what does the end of time look like, meaning does this prove a premillennial end times? Does it prove a postmillennial end times? Does it prove an amillennial end times? The other way we could look at this passage is the way that I hope that I'm going to look at it this morning. That is through a much larger lens, the lens that looks at the totality of Scripture and what the Lord is trying to communicate to the original audience. What is it that they need to hear as they face rebuilding a city? And if we can find that answer, then we find the answer what the Lord wants us to hear as well. This is what we hope to find here this morning. I hope to find what it is that Zechariah wants the original audience to know. Because frankly, they didn't know or care about pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, or any other mill for that matter. They wanted to know what the Lord was up to. What's He doing? What is it that they needed to hear in that moment in time? Because as the author of Ecclesiastes says, 
There is nothing new under the sun. The Lord has seen this all before. He saw what happened in Zechariah 14. He sees what happens in the future, and He sees what's happening today, and He's seen it all before. This does not surprise Him. 2022 does not surprise the Lord. Why? Because He is the sovereign Lord who reigns over all the universe and sits on His throne in all majesty, glory, and honor. And because He reigns, we have the confidence to know that the world is not spinning out of control. So we do not have to fear. No matter the situation that we find ourselves, in other words, we are secure in any and all situations. This is what the Lord wanted to communicate to the people of Israel. I understand that you're tasked with rebuilding a city. I understand that your enemies are all around you. I understand that these things could happen to you. But the Lord is with you. He has not abandoned you. And He sits enthroned on high. Remember the entirety of the book of Zechariah, if you could, with me. The entirety book of Zechariah is a plea from the Lord to the people to love the Lord their God. Return to Him in order that they would not fear, but that they would be secure in the Lord despite everything that has happened to them. Return to me, and I will return to you. And so the same plea goes out to us here today. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For it is in Him, in Him alone, that we find our security. And this last portion of Zechariah, we see clearly what security looks like as we trust and love the Lord who reigns. And as we enter into these verses here this morning, I want us to hear that refrain just in the background. Almost as like if you're in a doctor's office and you hear the, the, the jazz music or the slight music in the background as you wait for your appointment. And the refrain that needs to echo in our minds as we read these, read these words and enter into this text, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. There are three sections of these verses that are broken down as follows, according to the way I look at it. In verses 1 and 2, we see a city that is ransacked. In verses 3 to 5, we see that the Lord fights for His people. And then 6 to 11 shows the final reign of the Lord Or maybe we can say this as good Presbyterian pastors like to do. Three sections with three words that help us to remember these things. First, we can see that we are secure in all things because of the Lord's power. We're secure in the Lord in all things because of His presence. And we're secure in the Lord in all things because of His peace. So let's look at Zechariah 14, this weird, crazy, strange, wonderful verses that we have. The last chapter of Zechariah is undoubtedly an eschatological prophecy. In other words, a prophecy that talks about the end times. When you think about the end times, what do you think of? What do you envision? I would say most of us, if not all of us, have this idyllic sense about the end times. We sing songs about trumpets blaring and Jesus riding on the clouds to take us home and to to bring us back into where we're supposed to be. We like to think about the wonder of it all. We like to think about the joy of it all. We like to think about as a day where the tears will be wiped away and all the mourning shall cease. We like to think of the last day as a picture of green grass and quiet waters. This is the way I like to look at it. However, as we read more and more of the Bible and come across more and more apocalyptic or eschatological prophecy, we read that the day of the Lord is a great 
and terrible day. A day when the judgment is cast. A day when the nations will rage. It is a day of destruction and deliverance. It's a day in which the Lord is coming back. If you recall, the prophet Amos in chapter 5 cursed the Hebrews. He cursed the Hebrews for desiring the day of the Lord. He says these words, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. The power of the Lord is coming at His return. This is the scene that we find in Zechariah as well. This scene, these first two verses, if you turn in your Bibles yet once again or to your apps or whatever it is, these first two verses, if we were to have to put a movie rating on them, it's not PG-13, it's not even R. It's probably M-A. Because it's nasty. And it's violent. And it's dark. It's a day when riches are cast away. It's a day when the nations rage against the people of God. A day when the people of God are once again like being taken into captivity and exile, removed from the city, and women are abused. This day of the Lord is one that is great and terrible, and it comes at the sovereign, powerful hand of a righteous and holy God. What does the prophet Zechariah want the people of Israel to know as he communicates these very things? What does he want them to understand without any doubt? That the Lord does not take idolatry and sin lightly. There is a large and painful price to pay for sin. And so once again, the refrain rings in the background. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Return to me, return to me, return to me. We don't like to hear this part of Scripture, do we? We don't like to be told that our sin is heinous and ugly. We don't like to hear that this part of Scripture we don't, tells us that we are ugly in our sin and misery. And frankly, we don't like to read words like rape in the Bible. And yet, that's the impact of sin. When we sin, there are consequences. Deep, hurtful, painful, abusive consequences. Devastating consequences that are awful. It's a picture of abject horror and terror of sin. It's also a picture of the power of the Lord as He wields judgment against our sin. His holiness demands punishment for our sin. So, friends, this morning we don't have the liberty to downplay our sins. It's a little white lie. It's no big deal. That person can fend for themselves. It's not a big deal. It's a little bit of gossip. I'm not hurting anybody. It's not a big deal. We don't have the liberty to downplay our sins because we read verses like 1 to 2 of Zechariah 14. This is the consequence of sin. This is the consequence of devastation. This is the consequence when our eyes and our ears go to places they shouldn't. When our desires, 
when our temptations take us down paths that they shouldn't. There are real and legitimate consequences as we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. Friends, the day of the Lord is coming. It's a great and terrible day. And the refrain echoes again. Return to me. Return to me. Return to me. We as Christians must take Zechariah 14, 1-2 seriously, as this is a day that's coming to the church. God's Jerusalem, before the end of the age, will face oppression and persecution, will face devastation, will face judgment. And the power of the Lord demands it. There's good news, however. As we move forward into this text, there is good news. The good news is that the real emphasis of Zechariah 14, as serious as verses 1 and 2 are, and we can't just say, okay, now there's good news and we forget about verses 1 and 2. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Now just give me the good news, pastor. That's not the intent. What Zechariah wants us to hear, and the emphasis for the remainder of the section of Scripture that we read, is not on the suffering or the sin of the people or of us, but rather on the wonderful deliverance that follows the power of the Lord. It is the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 3 with me, if you will. Do you see how it starts? I really wish the editors would do me a favor and just reinforce what I like to say and just provide some affirmation that Ryan may have something here to give to you. I really, 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 really wish that the editors of our Bible would bold-faced, italics, and underlined a four-letter word. T-H-E-N. Then. Verses 1 and 2 happens, and then bold-faced, italics, and underlined, then. Then the Lord will go out, and what will he do? Then the Lord will go out and fight against the nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Friends, this I've, I've said a number of times in Sunday school and from this pulpit. If you were a movie producer and you could produce a scene for a particular section of Scripture, this part of Scripture was made for the silver screen. It is the Lord riding out as every Hollywood movie, it seems, the hero or the heroine rides out and fights against the enemy. It's Aragon riding out of the keep. It's Maximus taking on the Roman legions. Yet this time it is the Lord, the sovereign God of the universe, who rides out against the nations and fights. Fights for his people. It's the same Lord who stands against the enemy of Pharaoh while the people pass between a divided sea. It's the same Lord who now splits the Mount of Olives and gazes upon the city of Jerusalem as the people pass through to the town of Azal. Friends, this is what the Lord does. His people are in danger, and what does he do? Then he goes out and he fights. Think of how the Lord has fought for his people, how he went before Joshua and the supernatural day that happened there with just the sound of the horns, an entire wall of Jericho crumbled. Think about Gideon, and he whittled down his army of hundreds of thousands down to 300 men. And he raged against an army of Midian, and Gideon's men never read it, even raised a sword. Think of how 
Stories of Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and so many other times the Lord has gone out before His people and defeated the enemy of the Lord's strictly and merely because of His presence. The Lord fights. And now here in Zechariah, the prophet foresees a similar victory for the Lord when the sovereign Lord stands on the Mount of Olives, a hill to the east of Jerusalem that provides a wonderful gaze upon the city and creates a visual reminder for the people. You see, the original audience understood where the Mount of Olives was. And if they could see the Lord their God standing on the Mount of Olives, they would see that He's gazing upon them, that He stands in victory upon the mountain as He looks down upon the city of Jerusalem. This is what they understand. They see that He is in control. He is the sovereign Lord. The people can then look to the hill and see that the Lord has not abandoned them. He has not forgotten them. He has not let them slip wildly out of control. But they can see as the psalmist did, God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in the time of trouble. He's here now, today. And this is true for us now. This will be true at the end of the age as well. In verse 5, the prophet proclaims a glorious truth. Then the Lord, my God, will come. And the Holy One's with Him. Wherever you find yourself this morning. I'd like you can, I would like for you to consider just what is being said here in Zechariah. Yes, this prophecy is about the end times. Yes, it's a prophecy about the ultimate victory of the Lord over His enemies. Yes, it's a prophecy about how the Lord will bring His people to Himself for all of eternity. Yes, this is a message given to a people who are longing for security and comfort, longing to know that they have not been forgotten. Life has been overwhelming over the last few years. For them for us. Perhaps life has not lived up to our hopes and dreams. Life has taken turns that have created doubts and fears. If we're honest with ourselves, we must answer in an affirmative, life looks much different in 2022 than it did even in 2019. This then creates tremendous uncertainty, anxiety, fear, and the questions that we started with are asked all over again. Is it all coming to an end? Has the Lord forgotten me? Has the Lord forgotten us? Zechariah 14 wants us to know He has not forgotten you. Without any doubt, Psalm 121 is my favorite psalm in the entirety of this altar. And the psalmist opens with these words. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now take Zechariah 14. Where does the Lord stand? Atop the Mount of Olives. Watching. Ruling. Governing. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. On the great and terrible day, we will see the Lord standing on the Mount of Olives proclaiming and fulfilling the hope of the psalmist, of the prophet, of you, and of me. That the presence of the Lord is the very place where we find hope and security. And before that day arrives, we look to another hill. We look to the hill of Calvary, where the Lord Himself was high and lifted up. Where Jesus was sacrificed upon a cross in order that we would know just how high and wide and deep is the love of the Lord our God, our Savior. 
We look to that mountain in order to see the love outpoured and to hear the words, it is finished. These are the words that Jesus proclaimed as he was high and lifted up, proclaimed as a truth that we need not fear, for the enemy has already been defeated. The Lord has already fought the fight, and it is over and is completed. He has already gone out against the enemies. He's already destroyed the enemy. It's finished. Every believer looks forward to the end of the, end of the age, and honestly, we are told that we are in the last days. With all the changes, dangers, toils, and snares, Pastor Jim Boyce wrote these words, The outward changes in the land are symbolic of what will also be spiritually true. Evil will be eliminated from the city. God will be with his people, and salvation will flow like a stream from Zion. John, as he looked upon the end times in the book of Revelation, seems to look back on the prophet Zechariah's work. The words of Zechariah that proclaim a shift in all things The world will no longer need the sun, for the glory of the Lord will shine forth. John says in Revelation 22, he says these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is how the Bible ends. This is how history will end. There is then an invitation to come into His presence and into His peace. A few verses later in Revelation 22, it says that those who come, let those come and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. In another verse, take the water of life without price. Salvation waits for the people of God at the end of the age. The struggle we have, the fears that we have, the anxieties that we have, these things are real. However, with this kind of prophecy, it's and using strange language, and these things seem so distant and far off, don't they? And they don't, over, they don't seem overly practical for me today. Well, that's great that the Lord in Revelation is going to open up the floodgates, and salvation will come, and all of these things are great and terrible and wonderful and awful, and these, but that's out in the future somewhere. What about 2022? What about Monday morning when I have to go back to work tomorrow? So what about my fears? What about life for us today? I'm glad to know that salvation awaits and the Lord will conquer our enemies. I'm glad to know that as a believer I will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but how am I to overcome the struggles today? What Zechariah tells us is that this is not only for a day in the future, but it's for the people of Zechariah's time and for us. It tells us that wherever the Lord reigns, At any given time, there is peace. Zechariah prophesies that Jesus will come and return to the city as the sovereign Lord who reigns to bring salvation. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he established himself then and there at that that particular time that he is present and is the sovereign Lord of all. So for us today, as Zechariah opened his message, 
return. Return. Return to me. So this morning, if you've acknowledged the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that He is the King of your life, that He is sovereign in all you do and say and think, return. Return to the Lord because He is the one that through grace and faith, Jesus is the King of your life. For its comings and its going. Jesus has returned to you today with the same power, with the same presence, with the same salvation to remove your sins, to cleanse you from your uncleanness and to bring you to Himself. He's there to strengthen you and to guide you and for you to join Him in His holy temple. For it is the Lord that is our protector. It is the Lord who is our refuge. And He's the one that leads us today and tomorrow and every day until that day. He has finished your salvation. And we, like the city of Jerusalem in Zechariah 14, because of the sovereign reign and rule of our Lord Jesus Christ, will live in peace and security forever. Friends, do not fear. Return to the Lord because He reigns. Amen. Let's pray.